ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so continuing with uh, the 40 hadith of Imam Nawawi we were in the hadith of Jibril and we were mentioning the aspect of Iman. And we spoke about Iman in Allah and Iman in the books and the prophets and the messengers and Iman in the day of judgment and also Iman in the decree. After that then, Jibreel alayhi salam asked the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, Akhbirni anil ihsan. Tell me about ihsan. What is ihsan? So he already asked about Islam and he asked about Iman and then he asked about Al-Ihsan. Wal-Ihsan huwa al-martabatul ulya. And the Shaykh says that Ihsan is the higher level. It is the highest level. And the meaning of Ihsan, that a person does Ihsan in his worship, itqanu shay' wa itmamuhu. It is to be precise in doing something. To do something with precision. Itqanu shay'i wa itmamuhu. To do something with precision and to complete it. To do something with precision and to complete it. And this is what is known as ihsan. And that is mentioned in the Quran. Alladhi ahsana kulla shay'in khalaqah. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created all of the things with that precision and completeness and perfection. وَإِحْسَانُ الْعَمَلِ إِتْمَامُهُ وَإِتْقَانُهُ Therefore, a person who does his worship upon ihsan is a person who does it with precision, accurately, properly. He does his acts of worship accurately and properly and with precision and he completes them. وَإِحْسَانُ الصَّنْعَةِ وَإِتْمَامُهَ وَإِتْقَانُهَا وَلِهَذَا يَقُولُونَ أَنْتَ تُحْسِنُ كَذَا أَوْ لَا تُحْسِنُ يعني هل تعرف هذا الشيء تماما أو أنك لا تعرفه؟ And that's why the Sheikh mentioned some examples in Arabic of how they mentioned this word إحسان. But the meaning of that is that إحسان is that a person does his worship in a precise and accurate way. In a precise and accurate way. And he completes and perfects his worship. And this إحسان, it occurs between a servant and Allah. This ihsan, it occurs between a servant and Allah. وَالْإِحْسَانُ يَكُونُ بَيْنَ الْعَبْدِ وَبَيْنَ رَبِّهِ بِعِبَادَةِ اللَّهِ وَحْدَهُ لَا شَرِيكَ لَهِ You perfect your worship and you make precision in your worship to Allah by worshipping Him upon tawheed and worshipping Allah upon sincerity that we already discussed in the first hadith. That worship upon sincerity, upon tawheed, ikhlas, then that type of worship is what would be considered as ihsan. Similarly, ihsan, a person can do this ihsan between himself and other people by doing goodness to them and helping them and aiding them and giving in charity, etc. That is also a type of ihsan. Giving da'wah, calling people to the religion, advising them with what is correct and what is halal and warning them against that which is haram. Giving people da'wah in this way is also a type of ihsan. وَتَعْلِيمُ الْعِلْمِ النَّافِعِ And teaching people the righteous knowledge 
That is also considered from Ihsan. And Allah mentioned in the Quran, وَأَحْسِنُوا إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ الْمُحْسِنِينَ And do this Ihsan, because indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He loves the people who do Ihsan. So a person who does this Ihsan in his actions, is a person who is doing his actions accurately and precisely, and completing them in accordance to the Sunnah. Somebody is doing his actions accurately in accordance to the Sunnah, properly and 100% without any type of innovation. إِتْقَانُهُ يَعْنِ الْعَمَلِ بِأَنْ يَكُونَ عَلَى السُنَّةِ وَلَيْسَ فِيهِ بِدْعَةِ فَإِذَا كَانَ فِي الْعَمَلِ بِدْعَةِ فَإِنَّهُ لَيْسَ مِنْ إِحْسَانِ الْعَمَلِ If a person has some innovation in his acts, he has some innovation in his worship, then that is not considered as Ihsan. Your actions are not considered to be upon Ihsan if you have innovation in them. You are doing things or acts of worship that were not prescribed in the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Acts of worship which were not mentioned in the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Doing things that people make up themselves. They talk about the night of Rajab and the night of Shaaban and the night of this month and the night of that month. They say on this night, stay up and read this many raka'at in the prayer, and read this dua 1,000 times, and all these things that they say. All of it is made up. Where is the evidences for these? You don't find anything in the Qur'an that tells you to stay up in the middle of the month and praying and reading 1,000 times and all these things. Or in the sunnah, any hadith which says the Prophet used to do that, or the companions used to do that. So these types of actions, even though people might think that they are doing them to get closeness to Allah and to worship Allah, the reality is those actions are not ihsan. They are not proper and good and accurate because they are not based upon the Qur'an and the sunnah. Any action that is not based upon the Qur'an and the sunnah, the way the sahaba, Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali radiallahu anhum, the other salaf, the way they did it, then those actions are not correct. Now when the people that get together in the masajid, in the mosques, they get together sometimes and they read in a circle, they all read du'as together. And maybe they close their eyes and they hold hands and these types of things. All of this is not from Islam. None of this the Prophet never did it. Or the companions radiallahu anhum. There are no narrations. Where is the hadith? If it was the way of worshipping Allah, if it was a way of worshipping Allah to get together and to sit in a circle and to close your eyes and do all of these things and dhikr as people do in that way, then where are the narrations where the companions used to do that? Why didn't they used to do it? Why didn't Abu Bakr used to do it? And Umar and Uthman and Ali radiallahu anhum and the other great companions, Aisha radiallahu anha, Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu. Why didn't any of them do it? Where are the hadith where they used to do it? They didn't used to do it because it's not from the Quran and the Sunnah. This isn't the revelation that the Prophet taught them. This isn't the way to worship Allah that they were taught by the Messenger of Allah. So, a person must only worship Allah in the manner which was prescribed, and that's what Ihsan is. A person who does his worship upon Ihsan is somebody who's doing it in accordance to the Quran and the Sunnah. Allah mentions in the Quran, Bala man aslama wajhahu lillah wa huwa muhsin. The one who submits himself to Allah and he is a muhsin. He is a muhsin. He does his actions purely and correctly and precisely in accordance to the Quran and the Sunnah. Everything he wants, the evidence from the Quran and the Sunnah and the methodology of the Salaf of this Ummah. In one narration it said, the Prophet ﷺ, مَنْ عَمِلَ عَمَلًا لَيْسَ عَلَيْهِ أَمْرُنَا فَهُوَ رَدَّ 
whomsoever does an action which is not from our actions, then it will be rejected. And in fact, it's so important to make sure that every act of worship is done in accordance to what the revelation told us, and never to do anything outside of that, never to make something up or to use some narrations or hadith which are weak or made up, never to do that. It's so important that the Prophet ﷺ used to advise the companions about it every week on the member in Jumu'ah. Every week in the Jumu'ah on the member, on the pulpit when he used to climb up to give the sermon, the Friday sermon, he used to warn them from never worshipping in a way which is outside of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. So the Prophet ﷺ used to say, وَإِيَّاكُمْ وَمُحْدَثَاتِ الْأُمُورِ فَإِنَّ كُلَّ مُحْدَثَةٍ بِدْعَةٍ be warned from the newly invented affairs, because all of those newly invented affairs, they are innovations. And then in some narrations, that all of the innovations are in the hellfire. Uh, and every innovation is a misguidance. So this is something that the Prophet ﷺ used to advise them with in every khutbah that he used to do. Then after that, it mentions in the hadith, one of the definitions of Al-Ihsan also. أَن تَعْبُدَ اللَّهَ كَأَنَّكَ تَرَاهُ That you should worship Allah as if you can see Allah. You should worship Allah as if you can see Allah, that you recognize and you understand that Allah is watching you. Of course, none of us can see Allah. None of us can see Allah. Not even the Prophet saw Allah yet on the night of Al-Isra Al-Mi'raj. That will be in the hereafter. None of us can see Allah. None of us can even imagine what Allah looks like at all. It's not even allowed to try to imagine what Allah looks like. But the meaning of the hadith is that when you do your worship, then you understand and you recognize and you realize that Allah is watching everything you do. Allah is aware of everything you do. He is even aware of that which you are thinking in your hearts. So Allah is aware of all of these affairs. So a person who's going to do his worship in the best way is somebody who he knows Allah is watching him. And ta'bud Allah ka'annaka tarahu fa'in lam takun tarahu fa'innahu yarak. You worship Allah as if you can see him. But you can't see Allah, of course. However, be aware that Allah certainly sees you. So a person who does his worship, knowing that Allah is watching him, and does his worship perfectly and beautifully for the sake of Allah, because he knows Allah is watching him. In the prayer, it's mentioned in the sunnah, it's uh, Allah is in front of the person. That doesn't mean Allah is everywhere. But Allah is in front of the person when you're making dua in your prayer. All of this indicating the greatness of a person who recognizes this. If you indicate or if you recognize that Allah is watching you and is aware of your worship and what you are doing, then a person attempts to perfect his worship. A person attempts to make his worship beautiful and perfect. Sincere for the sake of Allah. And that's why the shaykh then mentions that the hadith when it says, worship Allah as if you can see Him, that doesn't mean that we are actually able to see Allah in this world. It doesn't mean that. Nobody should misunderstand and think we're, we're able to see Allah. That's how some of the people they say. They say that imams have dreams and they see Allah and all of these things. It's all made up. You cannot see Allah yet. It's not possible for anybody to see Allah yet. There's even Musa salam when he requested to see Allah, it wasn't permissible yet. When Musa salam said, Qala Rabbi arini anzur ilayk. When he said, allow me to look towards you. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Lan tarani, you cannot see me. 
i.e. in this world you cannot see me. And similarly when the Prophet ﷺ went on the night of Al-Isra Al-Mi'raj, and then he said that he could not see Allah because hijabuhu nur There was a covering made of light, a covering made out of light, so the Prophet ﷺ couldn't see Allah from behind that covering. So we know that a person cannot see Allah in this world, but we will see Allah in the hereafter. In the hereafter, on the day of judgment after that, then you can see Allah, the believers will see Allah. But in this world we don't. But the meaning of the hadith here is, that you should worship Allah as if you can see Allah, and even though you can't, of course you can't, then at least you should be aware, that even though you can't see Allah, Allah definitely sees you. And Allah is aware of what you are doing and how you are doing it. So a person, he worships Allah knowing that. He, when he prays and he gives his other charity and whatever he's doing, then he does that knowing Allah is the all-seeing and the all-hearing. As Allah said in the Qur'an, He is the all-hearing and the all-seeing. That's why this is mentioned as the highest level. Ihsan. Because somebody could practice, he might be a Muslim upon Islam, and he's practicing and he's doing whatever he's doing in terms of worship. And somebody might be on the higher level of Iman. He's not just practicing Islam just like that, but he's, he has Iman in his heart. So he's at the higher level of Mu'min, Iman. He has Iman in his heart and Taqwa and Tawheed, and he increases him in his worship and how he does it. But then the highest level is somebody who is Muhsin, somebody who has Ihsan. Not only are they practicing Islam, not only do they have Iman in their hearts, but they have that level in their heart that they recognize Allah is watching them all the time. And they understand that when they're doing their worship, Allah is aware of how they are doing it. And so they perfect and make precise their worship sincerely for the sake of Allah. That's why the scholars, they say Islam comes first, then Iman is higher, then Ihsan is the highest. And that is the level that everybody should strive to obtain. So this is what's mentioned regarding the different levels of the religion. When a person first becomes Muslim, he enters into the fold of Islam. Then the more you learn and the more you practice and the more you obey Allah, you enter into the higher level of Iman. Then the more you practice and the more you obey Allah and the more you stay away from the sins, etc. You are obedient. Then you enter into that area of Ihsan, the highest level of worshipping Allah upon that way. And it's mentioned that the people who are at the level of Ihsan, it's mentioned that they will enter paradise. Instantly they will enter paradise, those who get to the level of Ihsan. So a person should aim to attempt to worship Allah in the best possible manner in that way. Then after that, Jibreel salam asked the Prophet wasallam, Akhbirni anisa'ah. Tell me about the signs of the hour. Or rather, tell me about the hour. Tell me about the hour itself. And the hour, the day of judgment, is one of the pillars of Iman that we already mentioned. Belief in the day of judgment, it is one of the pillars of Iman. And that day of judgment, it will come, and the trumpet will be blown, and the people will fall unconscious, and then when the trumpet is blown again, the second or the third time, then people will be raised up, and the resurrection will occur, and the accountability will occur. Even though, as Allah mentioned, some of the disbelievers, they used to reject that there could ever be a resurrection. And in reality, of course, there is a resurrection. Allah said in the Quran regarding those disbelievers, "Zaman ladina kafaru an lan yubathu." 
قل بلى وربي لتبعثن لتبعثن ثم لتنبؤن بما عملتم وذلك على الله يسير in surah at-taghabun ayah number 7 Allah says those disbelievers the ones who disbelieved they claimed that they will not be resurrected the ones who disbelieved they claimed that they would not be resurrected Allah says by by my by your lord wa rabbi Indeed, certainly you will be resurrected and then you will be made aware of what you used to do. You will certainly be resurrected and then you will be made aware of what you used to do. So this is uh, the day of judgment that will occur and the resurrection that will occur. As for when that will happen, when the day of judgment will occur, what is the exact time, then that is something which is not known to us. That is something which has been hidden from our knowledge. And Allah mentioned in the Quran, وَمَا أُوتِيتُمْ مِنَ الْعِلْمِ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا You've not been given from knowledge except a small amount. This is one of the aspects of knowledge that we have not been taught when the day of judgment is going to happen. We are unaware of when it's going to happen. One of the reasons being, as the scholars they mention, because that way everybody will be constantly preparing. Everybody will always be on the lookout, preparing and worshipping and obeying, because the day of judgment could come at any time. That's why when one person came to the Prophet ﷺ and he said to him, Mata sa'a? A person came to the Prophet ﷺ and he said to him, when is the day of judgment? So what do you think the Prophet ﷺ told him? He said, Mada a'adadta laha? He said, what have you prepared for it? The Prophet said to him, what have you prepared for it? Meaning, your question, when is the day of judgment, isn't that relevant. What's relevant is, what have you prepared? Have you done your worship? Have you stayed away from the prohibitions? That's important. So whenever the day of judgment happens, you're ready for it. So the Prophet when he was asked, when is the day of judgment? He advised him and he said, what have you prepared for it? Whenever it happens. If it happens tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, whenever it happens, the important thing is that you are prepared. And that's why the scholars they say we don't know when it is, as one of the wisdoms that if we knew when it was, then people would not bother doing any worship until it came close to that time, then they would all make repentance and start worshipping, etc. Then everybody would know when the Day of Judgment is, and they'd know when to start worshipping and to make repentance and all of that. That's why the scholars they say we are not aware of when the Day of Judgment is. So all the time you have to be ready and prepared and making tawbah and seeking forgiveness and doing worship. You can't say when I grow up I'll start worshipping and I'll start praying. Who knows you're going to grow up or not? Who knows if death won't come to you tomorrow? Nobody knows these things. That's why you always have to be on the alert every moment. From this moment in time straight away you have to start doing the worship and the obedience. Somebody says I'll start tomorrow. I'll start praying tomorrow. Everything I'll sort myself out tomorrow. Who knows that person might die tonight? And he never starts doing the worship and he never starts praying. So a person must start instantly. Instantly when he finds out he begins because he doesn't know. He might say, I'll start tomorrow or next week or next year. And that time never comes for him. So that's why we are not aware of when the day of judgment is going to be established. as one of the wisdoms behind that. That's mentioned in the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, قُلْ إِنَّمَا عِلْمُهَا عِنْدَ رَبِّي that indeed the knowledge of when the hour is going to be, that is with Allah. Allah is aware of that, but we are not. Similarly, uh, it's mentioned in other ayat, 
regarding the knowledge of the hour is with Allah alone. Inna allaha indahu ilmu sa'ah. That indeed Allah has the knowledge of when the day of judgment is going to occur. As for us, then we do not have knowledge of that. And neither did the Prophet ﷺ have knowledge of that. And neither does Jibreel ﷺ have knowledge of that. That's why when Jibreel ﷺ said to the Prophet ﷺ, tell me when the hour is going to be, tell me when the day of judgment is going to be, the Prophet ﷺ said in response, مَلْ مَسْؤُولُ عَنْهَا بِأَعْلَمَ مِنَ السَّائِلِ that the one who is being asked the question is no more knowledgeable than the one who is asking the question. The one who's asking the question doesn't know, and the one who is being asked the question doesn't know. Meaning the Prophet doesn't know, and Jibreel doesn't know. The hour when that's going to occur is in the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then we know that there are certain signs that will lead up to that hour, the signs of the hour. And they are mentioned, those signs of the hour, the beast and the earthquakes and all these other affairs that are mentioned, the rising of the sun from the west, etc. There are many signs that are mentioned, the descent of Isa, Ya'juj, Ma'juj. All of these things are mentioned from the signs of the hour before it takes place. So then that's what Jibreel asked the Prophet next. He said to him, in that case, أَخْبِرْنِي عَنْ أَمَارَاتِهَا Tell me about its signs. عَنْ أَمَارَاتِهَا Tell me about its signs. Tell me about some of the signs of the hour. So the Prophet ﷺ mentioned two signs from amongst all of the signs of the hour. There are many signs of the hour. But the Prophet ﷺ mentioned in this hadith two of those signs. Two from amongst all of the signs of the hour. One of them was, That a slave girl gives birth to her owner. A slave girl gives birth to her owner. But how can that be? How can it be that a slave girl gives birth to her owner? The scholars, they mention that there are possibly different understandings to this. One of the understandings of this is that there will come a time when people give birth to children and those children, they are disobedient to their parents. Children are disobedient to their parents and they show a lot of opposition to their parents and disobedience to their parents, that's what some of the scholars have said this hadith means. That one of the signs of the hour is that the children, they will be extremely disobedient and arrogant and proud and sinful and towards their parents. That's one meaning of it. Another meaning of it could be that perhaps a slave girl, she will give birth to a... Uh, uh, a child, So maybe a slave girl gives birth and the father is a free man. So the child becomes a free child. And so in that way, perhaps the child becomes a free person, but the mother is still a slave girl. But these are from the signs of the hour that the Prophet ﷺ mentioned. The second sign that the Prophet ﷺ mentioned also, أَنْ تَرَى الْحُفَّاتَ الْعِرَاتَ الْعَالَ رِعَاءَ الشَّاءَ 
يَتَطَاوَلُونَ فِي الْبُنْيَانِ That you will see, you will see those shepherds that are barefooted, and they wear very humble, modest clothes, they barely have anything of any magnificence. They barely wear those humble and simple clothes that they have. That those clothes, maybe they might not even cover all of their bodies due to their poverty. So you will see such types of country people or shepherds that have barefoots, barefooted rather, they are barefooted and their bodies are barely covered by their clothes from poverty, they barely have enough. Their humble clothes, and maybe they do not give consideration to looking after their clothes. Maybe they are such that they live out in the deserts, etc., that they do not give consideration to looking after their clothes. So they will have clothes, but they will be limited clothes, and they will be in poverty, their types of clothes that they have, depending upon their level of poverty. So you will see these types of people, shepherds looking after sheep. They will be looking after sheep and camels, etc. And this is the way that typically those people who live out in the country, etc. In the countryside and the deserts, that's what they do typically. They will be farmers and shepherds looking after animals. So the Prophet ﷺ said, these types of people of this description, shepherds or farmers looking after sheep and animals with barely limited clothes, from their poverty and barefoot, these types of characteristics, you will see them, يَتَطَاوَلُونَ فِي الْبُنْيَانِ You will see them competing to build tall buildings. You will see them competing to build tall, magnificent buildings. And that is from the signs of the hour. Does that mean that building tall, magnificent buildings is something which is haram in Islam? Why not? Because it's a tamir al-ard. Okay, but he says it's a sign of the hour. Yeah, but it's, it's a sign Tamir al-ard can be with small buildings. Yeah. What yeah. about the tall buildings? I don't know, but I, don't, I, I don't think it's tamir al-ard. What's been freely created can't be stopped. No, that's okay, but building tall buildings, is that something disliked and haram to do? Because he says it's a sign of the hour. One of the signs of the hour is people will compete to build tall, magnificent buildings. So is that something that we shouldn't do? Then that's haram and it shouldn't be done. No, it's similar to that we did so many years of the king. It doesn't mean that building tall buildings is something which is bad or haram. It doesn't mean that. It just means that this is one of the signs of the hour. When people start doing that, then it's a sign of the hour coming. The actual action in of itself isn't something which is wrong or haram. The actual action of that isn't haram. But it's just to say that when it does start happening, then be aware the sign of the hour is coming. But it doesn't mean that it's wrong. People misunderstand. They say, look, look." Uh, they even start talking about Saudi Arabia and people like that. They say, look, there they build all these tall buildings now. Next to the Kaaba, they built that massive building. It doesn't matter. That doesn't mean that it's haram to do that. It just means that these types of uh, incidents that occur in various places, not that we're mentioning Saudi Arabia, but anywhere, that they will occur from the signs of the hour. This is one of the signs. Doesn't mean the action in of itself is haram. Some of the signs of the hour are haram too. 
that you will see lots of people being murdered and killed. Of course, that's a haram action. And that's one of the signs of the hour. But it doesn't mean just because something is one of the signs of the hour, it must be haram. doesn't mean that. Some of them are, some of them are not. But anyway, here this is an example that the Prophet ﷺ gave, that they will compete to build these huge, tall buildings. Then after all of this happened, Jibreel ﷺ came and asked the Prophet ﷺ all of these questions about Islam, about Iman, about Ihsan, about the Day of Judgment. All of that happened, ثُمَّ talaqa. Then Jibreel ﷺ, he left. He got up and he left. قَامَ السَّائِلُ وَخَرَجَ He got up and he left. فَخَرَجَ بَعْضُ الصَّحَابَ فِي أَثَرِهِ فَلَمْ يَجِدُوهِ It's mentioned in some narrations that when Jibreel ﷺ finished asking all these questions, and the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ had answered with all these questions that he had asked, then Jibreel ﷺ got up and he left. It's mentioned in some narrations that some of the companions, they got up and went after him. Remember we said this was a strange man, they didn't know who it was or anything. So when he finished asking, got up and he left, some of the companions went after him. But they say in those narrations, as soon as they went out after him, he had disappeared. They couldn't find him anywhere. They went as soon as he left afterwards, but they couldn't find him anywhere. He had gone. He had disappeared. ajiba. The Shaykh says, this is of course something strange. That as soon as he left and the companions went after him, he had gone, disappeared. Because just then he was there, sat there talking to them. And then all of a sudden, as soon as he went out, he disappeared. Vanished, as they say. Couldn't find him anywhere. Then the Prophet said, He said to the companions, Do you know who that was? Do you know who this was who was asking the questions? They said, Allah and His Messenger know best. They said, Allah and His Messenger, they have the knowledge of that, we are unaware. That's what they used to say, Allahu wa Rasuluhu a'lam. Allah and His Messenger know best if they didn't know. But that was when the Prophet ﷺ was alive. As for after his death, now that the Prophet ﷺ has died, then we don't say Allahu wa Rasuluhu a'lam, we just say Allahu a'lam. Because the messengership has finished now. And the revelation has stopped. The Quran is finished. Al-yawma akmaltu lakum dinakum. I have completed your religion, Allah says. So the revelation is finished. The religion is complete. So now we don't say Allahu wa rasuluhu a'lam. We just say Allahu a'lam. But when they were alive, they used to say Allahu wa rasuluhu a'lam. So here they said to him, to the Prophet Allahu wa rasuluhu a'lam. They said Allah and his messenger know best. We don't know who this person was. So then the Prophet told them, he said, إِنَّهُ جِبْرِيلُ أَتَاكُمْ يُعَلِّمُكُمْ دِينَكُمْ That was Jibreel. He came to teach you your religion. فَهَذَا دَلِيلٌ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ الْمَلَكَ لَا يَأْتِ فِي سُورَتِهِ الْمَلَكِيَّةِ So this shows to you, like we said at the beginning, the angels, they didn't used to come in their original form. Jibreel didn't used to come in his original form. 600 wings covering the horizon. He used to come looking like a man. And the companions on this occasion didn't know who he was. Then the Prophet ﷺ told them that this was Jibreel. And he had come to explain to you the religion. Explain to you the religion. So why did Jibreel come in that instance? It wasn't because Jibreel actually needed to know the answers for himself. Jibreel didn't come because he needed to find out the answers for himself. Jibreel ﷺ knew those answers. He came to ask those questions on purpose, so when the Prophet ﷺ gives the answers, 
Then everybody else who was there from the companions, they would listen to the answers and they would learn the answers. So Jibreel came for that reason, in order to ask the questions on purpose, so that when the Prophet gives the answers, everybody will learn those answers. He didn't come because he needed to know the answers himself. So this is why the Prophet said, he came to teach you. He came to teach you to come and ask these questions so that the answers can be heard. And that's what the scholars, they say sometimes it's okay to do. Sometimes maybe you go somewhere and you ask a question because even though you might know the answer, but you think there will be benefit if everybody hears the answer. You think I'll ask the question and when the answer is given, then everybody will benefit from that answer, even though you might, you might yourself know the answer. So this is what's mentioned in this hadith. Uh, and also this is one of the ways of giving da'wah. One of the ways of giving da'wah is questions and answers. That the teacher asks the people a question. And then the people try to think of the answer. And then you give the answer to them. Asking questions and answers, that's a good way of studying. Keeps everybody's focus, keeps everybody's attention. And the Prophet used to do that. He used to ask the companions questions to get their attention. Then he would tell them the answers. So this is what's done here also. The shaykh said also, one more benefit to take at the end of the hadith is, that this religion, it is learnt through seeking knowledge. The religion is learnt through seeking knowledge. It is not learnt from any random place here or there. Here, Jibreel came and he sat with the Prophet And the companions, they were listening to the answers from the Prophet that's the source where you take your knowledge from in that way. You go to the people of knowledge, you go to the scholars, those who are truly scholars, not the ones who will tell you, come to the masjid and will turn the lights off or whatever they do. That's not Islam. Islam is that you learn about the religion properly. Learn about what the Prophet used to teach us to do, how the companions they did it, what the revelation it was. Not to make up other forms of worship yourselves. So here the shaykh says, look at how they learned the religion from that source. And this is how a person should learn the religion. That's why the Salaf used to say, That indeed this religion, this knowledge, it is knowledge of your religion that you are seeking. So look towards who you take your knowledge from. Don't just go to anybody to seek knowledge of the religion. Go somewhere where you know they're going to be talking about hadith. And they're going to give you the proper explanation of the hadith. And they're going to talk about the Qur'an and give you the proper explanation of the Qur'an. To Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, take the knowledge from there. Not to go out to anybody, the people who claim to be Sufi or they claim to be this or that. Hizbul Tahrir, Muhajirun, Takfiris, Khawarij. You don't go to the likes of these people. But you go to Ahl Sunnah, Salafiyun, that teach the knowledge properly from the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Upon the methodology of the scholars of this Ummah. Not to go as some people do now to any website, put into Google and to go here and go there and seek knowledge like that. What kind of knowledge is that? You're taking your answers from who? Who do you know who's written this website and if they're writing it right or if it's wrong? If these hadith they are quoting are actually even hadith or if they just made it up and made it look like it's a hadith. You don't take your knowledge in this way. That is not the way to seek knowledge randomly here and there on the computer everywhere. You seek your knowledge from the correct sources. If you're going to use the computer, go to the correct websites that are authentic, that you know are from the methodology of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. For example, salaf.com and various other websites, albasira.com. These types of websites, they are authentic. Go to those, but not to go randomly everywhere here and there looking and searching. That isn't the way to seek knowledge. You become confused 
and you may be tricked by people who are writing all sorts, and they're not writing upon the Quran and the Sunnah. So knowledge is sought from the correct sources, not to go sitting with everybody here and there thinking that as long as they are talking about Islam, it's okay. People, they might have mistakes, they might have errors. You need to go to the place where that knowledge is going to be taught in a pure and correct manner. So in this hadith, the Sheikh concludes by saying, there is an encouragement for people to seek knowledge. في هذا الحث على تعلم الدين There is a, an encouragement to seek knowledge of the religion. وَأَنَّ الْمُسْلِمَ يَجِبُ عَلَيْهِ أَنْ يَتَعَلَّمَ دِينَهِ And that it is obligatory upon a Muslim to seek knowledge of his religion. وَلَا يَكْتَفِي أَنْ يَقُولُ And a person shouldn't just say, he shouldn't just think it's enough to say, well, I'm Muslim, I'm a Muslim. That's not enough for somebody to just say, well, alhamdulillah, I'm just Muslim. You should learn the religion, learn what it means to be Muslim. Learn what the Quran and the Sunnah is teaching us. Not just to say, well, I'm Muslim, that's it. The Shaykh says, don't just do that, learn the religion. لَا بُدَّ أَنْ يَتَعَلَّمَ مَا هُوَ الْإِسْلَامِ You have to learn what the Islam is. If you're going to say I'm Muslim, then you need to know what it means to be Muslim. What is the Islam that you are practicing? It's not enough just to associate yourself to Islam, say I'm Muslim and that's it. But you should learn the religion and understand what Allah is speaking to us about in the Quran. What the Prophet taught us in the Sunnah, the Revelation. Imagine how many hadith, Sahih al-Bukhari, thousands and thousands of hadith in there. Sahih Muslim, thousands and thousands of hadith. All of these narrations from the Sunnah, how much of them do we know? A person should study to learn all these different things. And you will see how the religion of Islam, it tells you about everything. Even how to eat. What are the manners of good eating? It tells you in the Quran and the Sunnah. It's mentioned the hadith about how to eat and eat to the right hand and say Bismillah and eat from the side of the plate which is closest to you and not to go to the other side. All of these different things mentioned. Even tells you how to sit when you're eating a hadith. Even going to the toilet. It tells you in the sunnah how to go to the toilet and what to do. And use your left hand and etc. And how to work everything. It's mentioned in the sunnah. So it explains all parts of your life. But a Muslim, he needs to learn all of those things. To study. So that he's aware of what to do and how to do. When going to sleep, it tells you in the sunnah how to go to sleep. Which side to sleep on. What to read. What to read when you wake up. What clothes, everything is mentioned in the sunnah. So a person needs to learn all that and study it. Not just to say I'm Muslim and that's it and be making all types of sins and errors and disobedience and maybe he doesn't even know that he's making errors and sins. That's why Hudayfa radiallahu anhu used to say, كَانَ النَّاسُ يَسْأَلُونَ النَّبِيَّ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ عَنِ الْخَيْرِ وَكُنْتُ أَسْأَلُهُ عَنِ الشَّرْ مَخَافَةً أَنْ أَقَعَ فِيهِ أو مَخَافَةً أَنْ يُدْرِكَنِي Other people used to ask the Prophet about the good things. But I used to ask him about the evil things because I was afraid that they might overcome me. If you don't know something is a sin, then you might end up doing it. If you don't know it's a sin, you might end up doing it thinking it's okay. That's why a person can't just say I'm Muslim and that's it. You need to learn what is it, what's halal and what's haram. So that you know what you're doing and you don't end up doing sins by accident. So this is what a person should do. And this is one of the ways to do it. These circles of knowledge now to make an effort Make an effort to come and bring paper and pads and pens to make notes. Write down some benefits, something interesting you hear. You didn't know about before, so you write it down. And you remember it and you learn it. This is the way of seeking knowledge. And these kinds of gatherings, they are blessed. When you get together to learn the Quran and the Sunnah. And it's mentioned how the angels, they descend upon these types of uh, gatherings. And the mercy and the tranquility descends upon these gatherings. So this is what a person should use his time with. 
And that is what the Prophet ﷺ mentioned in a hadith, مَنْ سَلَكَ طَرِيقًا يَلْتَمِسُ فِيهِ عِلْمًا سَهَّلَ اللَّهُ لَهُ بِهِ طَرِيقًا إِلَى الْجَنَّةِ Whomsoever treads upon a pathway seeking by knowledge, then Allah will make that person's pathway to paradise easy. So we'll conclude upon that unless there's any questions. If the sisters have any questions, they can pass them forward. So we'll conclude there. And uh, we'll continue next week, inshallah, at the same time at uh, 7.15 approximately.